Welcome everyone to Los Libertinos podcast. I am your host, Carlos Abelard, and this is episode 18 with uh, Chingazos and Fire special edition uh, 9-11 Afghanistan conflict. Uh, our guest today is uh, Kyle Anslone. He is our first repeat guest. Um, and for good measure, because uh, when I wanted to do a 9-11 uh, special um, show, uh, I wanted to reach out to Kyle since I've been listening to his uh, his his podcast that he hosts with uh, Will Porter uh, called Conflicts of Interest uh, for the last year. It's already probably been about a year that uh, that I've been jamming you guys. And um, and um, the reason, too, is um, uh, because we're out of the we're tech kind of out of the conflict now and it's been declared that we've uh we, we split basically but you know for anybody out there that uh, wants to get more of a, a a personal take and uh and maybe a a, a, a kyle's uh, general take on different uh topics please check out episode two um and and and, and you'll get some of that on this one it's mostly going to be 9-11 afghanistan foreign policy talk and uh i guess um Let's get into it, Kyle, if you don't uh, mind. No, let's go for it, Carlos. All right, let's do it. So um, it's been 20 years. Um, I I would have been 18 years old when, when it happened. It would have happened after high school. Uh, I would have I was in college and I remember it my way. Uh, I am older than you. Uh, so kind of what I wanted to do with this episode was to 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 freestyle a lot of your perspective from when so since 2001 911 when it when it when, you know how uh, when you were a kid and how that kind of affected you and kind of the the journey that you've had and the relationship you've had with this event because uh you would have you're not a normal person that has a relationship with it because you're someone that uh talks about uh foreign policy as a as what you do, you know, in, in your, in your, in your life, you know? So, so uh, could you kind of, uh, I guess would be a, a good way to start would be um, how was uh, your day on uh, 9-11, 2001? Yeah. So I was, I, I'm pretty sure I was 10 years old because my birthday is not month. So I turned, I would turn 11, like around the time the war starts, but uh, 9-11, I'm, uh, you know, uh, it's about my birthday. Uh, I'm 10 years old, almost 11. And uh, before school every morning, we would go to my buddy Bobby's house and then his mom would drive, you know, us and him to school. And uh, I remember that, like, you know, we go over there in the morning and like there's some time before school. So we go in the basement and play and stuff and like we didn't keep track of time. So like, uh, I just remember his mom going, Oh my God, we're so late. And so, and that like never happened. So I was like kind of freaking out about being late to school. I do remember like seeing like the building smoking on the TV at his house. Um, but I, other than that, like there, like I have no memory from that. When I got to school, you know, nobody cared that we were late, which I, what I thought was really weird. And then like we went to class and the teacher actually, it was art class. I remember. And the teacher had it on, I forget the lady's name, but she gave like me a C in art when I was in third grade. So I do remember that about her, but uh, she was, um, she had the TV on and stuff. And I just like, I do remember like not understanding it. Like I was 10 years old, like New York could have been New York city could have been anywhere to me. Like, like I was from St. Louis, like, 
it, it just I didn't have an emotional reaction to it on the day like or anything like that. I do remember at lunch, my buddy Bobby did say something about how, like the St. Louis Arch could be nets. And that scared me a little bit. But like it, at the time, the teachers were like smart enough to be like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you know, they they went after the 9-11 towers. The Nets target isn't the St. Louis Arch. Nobody cares about that thing. And they'd be doing the city the favor in a demo anyways. But <laughs> um and so yeah so that's like most of what i remember about the day i remember like when i got home it was on tv but like I, again i was just like kind of too young to like care or understand it but i do remember like you know starting the next day it like pretty quickly became like there are people who are dangerous and who will kill you and your family and we you know this is something we have to be scared of from now on and i do remember like by the time like i was like 12 or 13 like i was i was terrified i I guess not necessarily of like muslim people but just like that you know my favorite football team or whatever there would be a suicide attack at that game or at the super bowl or christmas and it's not just like i was some dumb kid it was like every like you know saturday on the news or sunday on the news they were talking about how we're at a code or level orange now and you know that means there's a heightened level for attack and they could be looking at popular stadiums or football games and you know like that really i i loved football so that's what resonated with me and it just it scared the hell out of me that i was gonna be like you know watching my favorite football team play and like a bomb would go off or you know that me and my family would go to the mall and some guy would set off a bomb or start shooting everything up like these were like i was really scared like when i was a kid and i remember like the first time i flew after 9-11 wasn't until i was like 18 or 19 but like i remember like going to the air like you just have like this in the back of your head where it's like what if somebody does something to the plane you know what i mean um and so like i i feel like it was really heavily conditioned now the other part of the conditioning wasn't just you know the fear of terrorism but it was and this was far more heavy it was the worship of the troops and you know they're defending our freedoms and you could only go to school and play football and watch football and do all this great stuff because there's people over there making sure the bad people you know the the meme of the soldier like this over the little girl's bed with all the knives and but i mean like i really believe that and we had things in school like writing letters to the soldiers and uh any you know like that was around the time where like if you went to a baseball game and there's a soldier in your like section like everybody stood up and clapped for them and uh or you know gain on and off the plane uh you know the time when like the grown men in your lives would like tear up during the national anthem uh or you know had the whole like toby keith we'll stick a boot up your ass attitude uh kind of thing and uh that's I mean, I feel like that's what sat most with me most of the time. One of the things that was uh, very much hit home was, uh, and you know what, I don't remember this whole story or anything, but it was a big deal. There's like one, two, three hundred Canadian soldiers that were either injured or killed by an American bomb in Iraq. The pilot like missed the target and dropped the bomb. And that pilot just happened to like go to the same high school that I ended up going to or 
the the sister high school i forget which one but you know even in that case everybody was like you can't punch a soldier they're just doing what they need to do to keep us safe and and so yeah it it really like there was no concern over like the civilians all another thing i will say is it wasn't until i was high school and watched an episode of south park did anybody did i ever see a afghan child that wasn't like on some like in need of humanitarian aid like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what? They, they show the starving kids in Africa and stuff like that. And it, like, but that doesn't humanize them at all. Right. It was South Park, that dumbass show that actually had like an Afghan, Afghan kid walking around, like articulating how he felt about things, which I'm, you know, I'm sure it's not exactly accurate. But the fact that, like, you know, this kid just exists with thoughts and feelings and like that's like the first time it was like you know talked about and that's another thing like throughout my entire time at school the war was like too political to discuss and so the only thing that happened was all like you know the rallies saying the pledge of allegiance every day um had this kid in my class who I don't know why the hell the teachers let him do this. Uh, Cause I'm sure like conditioned fear in all of us, but he had a alarm on his watch that went off every day at nine 11. I remember this. What? Uh, I, yes. And, and you know, it was just like beep, 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 beep. And then he would turn it off. Right. And like, you know, he would never like go on, but like every day at nine 11. And I was with this kid through eighth grade and middle school. We went to different high schools. So I don't know, but through eighth grade and middle school. So that was like four or five years. I'm in this kid's class and every day, beep, 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 beep. And nine eleven. <laughs> you say that? Okay. Well, I mean, I guess not at the, I, I, who knows, you know, who knows what kind of why that would have been the case. Um, so then uh, South Park was that, does that did I give you was that the game changer a little bit that kind of was like you know because no but it was I do distinctly remember it was like the first time that like I saw an Afghan child that wasn't like starving and was you know like the stupid South Park animation it's not actually an Afghan child but like you know what I mean like just like this independent person who wasn't like a future terrorist or anything like that or or being spoken or being spoken or 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 where the media had was putting their thoughts out like it was it, it seemed like it was a real person to you like hey it's actually somebody that's talking that isn't yeah. part of the narrative that they put out of fear or something but that didn't change my mind i i was a pretty fierce war hawk in high school and like i i mean in one sense like i was you know 15 16 17 so like what the hell do i know nobody should have been listening to me but i was on the debate team at my high school and so like we were debating these issues and you know i would read the positions of like you know the bush administration officials and i mean they made it pretty explicitly clear that like any muslim could possibly kill you and so you know if we we kill, you know, some Iraqis in the process of, you know, making sure that you're safe. I, you know, that they, they should be showing us their terrorists is because they hide them amongst their ranks and everything like that. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say, but like, if that's your perspective and that's like, you know, kind of what you're reading and getting into, like, yeah, you're not going to have a problem with like killing a bunch of Iraqis. And, you know, as much as in the 20 or that have been, since Tina election, I think it was Ted Cruz was like talking and like had his like little giddy happy boy face and was like kind of bouncing his step uh, when he's talking about like nuking Syria and stuff like that. And like, you know, now I'm absolutely horrified and disgusted by it. But, you know, when I was like 16 years old and I was like into this stupid tribalism and believed in like this uh 
class of civilizations the muslims would never be happy until all the christians converted or were dead or at least wrapped up their women so you know there were no midi skirts or boobies to be seen and stuff like you know that i i'm just being honest like and it's not like i i was like a grown adult who like i just was listening to like you know what the like smart people on tv and like i was reading the news it's not like i was just like you know listening scene to like a half hour of Sean Handy like I was really paying attention and so I mean there were people you know in the mainstream against the war at this time and you know I was just a, a Republican partisan so I was against that but in uh, my freshman year of college uh, I found Ron Paul and then you know once I start getting into his stuff and like the Giuliani moment like I don't remember it at the time but I do remember watching it in college and that being like a, a major game changer game changer yeah fair enough i think for a lot of people it was yeah and for me um uh i would have been 18 and i guess my initial reaction too was like like uh like yeah like i remember telling my mom or something like oh yeah we're probably already going to go bomb them or something like it was no big you know it was like oh, okay but i didn't take it too serious but uh mm-hmm. in that same time like the 10 years afterwards uh i've always been a fan of um of like Bill Maher. So Bill Maher would have been like anti-war at the time. So I would have been getting that on, on his shows. So I, okay. I, I never just took it in that way. Uh, but, um, but I mean, I can understand why, and you know, if you're on that team, why, why you can go that way. So yeah, yeah can man. I just go kind of yeah. a couple more examples from my yeah. childhood. Some guy had for years on end a giant American flag spray painted in his front yard along one of the bigger roads in town. And then, uh, you know, the the whole like, if you're not with us, you're against the terrorist thing like that kind of you know that that kind of mentality that we're seeing a lot right now is uh i i do remember very distinctly something that i really felt like you know if, if you weren't pro-war if you weren't for bombing them you were essentially for at more attacks in the united states and you know that that's and so like you know you hate the ditzy chits and you call them freedom fries and uh anybody else who's even vaguely not pro enough war is you you know, like a dirty red commie who you can't trust, who you shouldn't want your community. And yeah, when they're like, oh, maybe I'll move to Canada, get the hell to Canada. Like, get, get out of my country. Come on. You don't want you don't want to bomb these people. You think like those are actually people with thoughts and feelings and who like get a life and stuff like that. Nah, no, that's that's not how it works. America is America and we deserve every American deserves, you know, to you know, have the safety at no matter what cost. And so we could kill anybody we want to make that happen. And I, I mean, that seemed like perfectly, you know, reasonable. Yeah, I um, what you're saying. Yeah, like you uh, said, it sounds like, uh, yeah, for sure. You uh, you sound like a like a partisan, right? Like a, a Republican, even like a Fox News kind of partisan guy that you 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 you, you you're repeating the talking lines that you probably remember from back then. Right. You could uh, you could already just uh, do them. Um, so then. There's people then that also never got out of that mindset um, is what 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 was the the the, the game changer for you? Like uh, it was getting into Ron Paul slash like libertarianism and 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 just being taught a different perspective or, you know, you're bringing up these memories that you were talking about. Did you at the like like at the time, did you have some counter thoughts? And they just stayed there, but they never really uh, grew into anything because so much of the propaganda was on top that they never or do you just reflect on them like, oh, man, I, you know, I get it. I was 
there was a lot of like you know can, can looking back can you like see why you were thinking the way you were or or you know kind of speak to that a little bit yeah so i i guess you know it's like a, a combination of things like one is just getting older and maturing like you know as like your brain develops like you're able to like feel more empathy for people that, that i mean that's just part of being a, a human especially being a male um but i I, you know, i think a part of it was like just when i went to college like the culture changed where like it wasn't like as much like flag flag waving rah rah it, it was like you know get drunk and party and you know stuff like that and so that i mean just it's a different world to be in you know why i mean you don't get constantly reinforced uh i don't think i watched a lot of tv in college i feel like that made a difference i watched a lot of like uh network tv growing up and so you know ncis and you know agent gibbs and all those you know stopping the bad guys kind of thing is uh once you know once you kind of get uh, don't watch that all the time and it's not quite so reinforced all the time then when you tune back in it's easier to see the propaganda but i i guess for me it's like i'm just like more of like a logic based and like analytical kind of person and so when i was in high school and on the debate team we were arguing about the iraq war and the benchmarks and if it was working and if the surge worked and the war uh the potential war in Georgia and, you know, all these different things. And then once, you know, you just read Ron Paul and hear what this guy has been saying and has said, uh, it's kind of hard not to deny that he's right. And, uh, you know, that, that, I mean, that changes your mind pretty fast, even if you do have all this emotional conditioning and all this past stuff that you said was so pro-war, you know, once you kind of realize that you were wrong, and you realize, you know, what it means to be wrong on the war issue, you kind of got to change your mind. It's not like, uh, or, or you just have to, I guess, tune out and engage in a lot of cognitive distance. And so uh, it was that. And, you know, I like had some friends and like, you know, we would smoke around or sit around, smoke pot and, you know, talk politics and this kind of stuff. And I think it was just like kind of that environment. It wasn't like the college, like going to classes that I feel like I've learned a lot, but like, you know, like the people I was around and like having conversations about this stuff, like, you know, just making you think about different perspectives and everything uh, was another just part of it and breaking it down. And um, yeah, and just, you know, not being as like enmeshed in like the whole like you stand for the Pledge of Allegiance one year at home during the football game kind of thing or the national anthem. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you, man. So you brought up Ron Paul. We brought up uh, the Giuliani moment. And uh, this kind of leads a little bit to my kind of one of my uh, questions here. Um, um, he in the video in, in the Giuliani moment, he kind of uh, brought up, you know, do you know why they hate us? They don't hate us for because we're free. You know, they hate us because we're over there. And uh, in 1998, uh, it was when uh, bin Laden had issued uh, like his jihad or fatwa, fatwa. or whatever, the fatwa. And uh, he had uh, three grievances. Uh, could you kind of. Uh, uh, go over those three grievances grievances and then and then and then I guess do you think they were justified yeah so I'm I'm pretty sure his three and I hope I, I get it right was the occupation of Saudi Arabia the occupation of the land of the two holy places uh the Israeli occupation of Palestine and I think it was the continued bombing bombing and sanctions on Iraq but if I got that third no, that's wrong. it yeah that's okay it. 
Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, you know, here, here's the thing. Osama bin Laden is a sociological, uh, sociopathical nut job who his goal was to carry out this attack to draw the United States into Afghanistan, because to him, the life of an Afghan matters no more than, you know, to George Bush or Dick Cheney. Right. And so he knew that if he could drag the U.S. into there, that the Afghan people would never comply, that they would, you know, fight the occupation forever and that eventually the U.S. would lose and it would cost us trillions of dollars and thousands of lives. And, and, you know, in that way, like, Osama bin Laden was like the tactical genius who got, you know, just with a a few planes that weren't even his and 20 men baited the United States into fighting a war in the middle of Central Asia that, you know, has cost us trillions of dollars. I, I mean, you know, just not to I'm not trying to praise the guy or say anything good about him, but it, from his perspective, his plan worked. You know what I mean? And, and so that's something that we have to realize now uh, to his grievances, uh, you know, the, the U.S. had soldiers and was, you know, stationing our warplanes in Saudi Arabia because we buy off that government. And we're continuing to bomb Iraq uh, through the 1990s. I think several airstrikes a day. And I mean, we just wrecked that country, you know, just like when you drop bombs on streets every day, you start to destroy sewage systems and stuff like that, you know, over time and water systems. And so people can't get water uh, into their homes and sewage out. It, it just... It, adds to the number of children who are going to die from different diseases that combined with the fact that we are like bombing formula factories at the same time Iraqi children were starving to death. Uh, it, it was just, you know, what the U S was doing in Iraq in the 1990s was unconscionable. Does that mean that Osama bin Laden was right to kill 3000 American citizens in response? No, but you know, it, it was just one of the most horrific things that has happened. And uh, if you want to really see how bad it was, just go to the Sissy Man's clip of Madeleine Albright saying that was worth it. And I, I mean, I don't know how you could watch that and not feel a little sick to your stomach. Uh, the, you know, I can't talk all about the occupation of uh, Palestine by Israel or else we'll be here for like three days, Carlos. But, you know, the, this is what is now acknowledged by Human Rights Watch and Apartheid system system in Israel where you know you have two tiers of justice you have you know people who have their home like their lives subsidized by the Israeli state and you have people who have uh their homes stolen by the Israeli state and you know that that's just you know not acceptable to a lot of people in the Muslim world just like um you know there's a lot of people in Texas who thought it was absolutely unacceptable that you know Osama bin Laden attacked New York they've you know, likewise, people in Iraq and Saudi Arabia, just because it's not Palestine doesn't mean that they don't see that community. And so that's a good uh, point. That's a good point. I never heard it, like say it that way. That's right. Like, yeah, a lot of people in Texas, us being like, you know, you know, you know, we're a nation, but really, yeah, like specifically someone like in Texas that believes in, you know, that rhetoric of secession or one state and all that. Yeah. They looked at something like at New York and they would have, hey, we got to do whatever we got to do, you know, but it's the same right. thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right, man. 
especially, you know, it was probably the same Tetson that, uh, you know, September 1st, 2001 was like, damn Yankees and everything else. But, you know, when an outside like oppressor is coming in, it, it kind of rallies support. And, and uh, I believe two of the 9-11 hijackers, at least one, at least Mohammed Atta, actually in response to Israeli war crimes on Palestinians. That's why he signed his name and decided to be uh, uh, one of the suicide hijackers. Like it was, it was because of the Israeli war crimes that he did. And it's because the United States gives Israel cover at the UN. We veto any resolution that will condemn Israel. Uh, we provide Israel with three to four billion dollars in, mil- uh, in uh, aid every year. A lot of it in military aid. Uh, they're bombing Palestinians and F-35s and F- F-16s. And, you know, they, they know who the world empire and superpower is and who makes the, you know, backhand the Israeli government possible. And so, uh, you know, that's why they end up targeting the United States. And so, yeah, I think I hit on all of them. And if I missed anything or you want me to expand on anything, no, no, uh, well, I was just going to say, well, listening to you talk about, uh, 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 what is uh, Albright on that video where she talks about all the lives that were necessary for, you know, I, I remember that was something that I remember as a kid, but I didn't know. I would hear that the terms like no fly zone over Iraq, but you know, it just sounds like, okay, they're just protecting from now. I guess no, no one fly. I mean, it wasn't even something I thought about, but I mean, at that time too, I remember them talking about, oh, but they're just using smart bombs. Okay. So like, even as a kid, I was like, okay, well then they're smart bombs. You know, they're, you know, I, I didn't even question. I was like, okay, there must be smart bombs where they just, you know, but as, as you guys talk about in your, in, in your podcast and stuff, there's not really anything like a smart bomb right you know there's always a lot of destruction in this stuff and that's where a lot of these killings go right i mean like uh yeah i mean there's there's not a smart bomb (laughs) right how much probably especially like you know growing up during the terror war like the reaper drone and the predator drone and the flyovers at all the games and they have the the abrams taints and like you just kind of get into like all the military equipment and everything like that but like the smart bomb is a particularly nefarious thing because it's like you know it doesn't matter if the bomb is smart or not if the intelligence is bad if the person deciding who's dropping the bomb is a dumbass who decides to blow up a bunch of children then the the, i mean the, the bomb isn't smart it just goes to the target maybe you could call it a less inaccurate bomb like that would at least be like a a name to describe kind of what it is compared to a dumb bomb right a a smart bomb just has more guidance in it that's you know the the difference between the two but you know people hear smart bomb and they assume that well you know when the terrorist goes to uh take a crap after dinner we could hit that side of the house and blow him up and you know the family then you know no longer has to deal with the terrorists and that's just a solution not that you know that's what they think happens and then it turns out dad isn't even a terrorist and he killed an innocent guy but when you blow up half the house the other part of the house falls over and so you crush everybody but like the seven-year-old who you know has to watch all 10 members of her family be drug away and uh knows that you know could see the shrapnel that like martin made the bomb knows who dropped it yeah no i hear you man um so when you had spoken about uh, the the first the one of those uh, suicide bombers, uh, that kind of got me thinking about uh, uh, the whole event of nine eleven. I um, uh, I wasn't a nine eleven truther. I I, I kind of kept that at a distance. There was no reason why. I mean, I remember just watching all the videos too and all that, and being like, oh man, there's some shady shit here. 
And to me, always the building seven stuff, just I, I didn't like the feeling of that, but I also didn't put too much weight on it. I don't know why I didn't. But anyway, what was your take on the whole 9-11 truth uh, time? You know, what was, you know, I'm guessing you would have watched a lot of the same videos that I did at the time. You know, what was your take on all that? I mean, I didn't really buy into any of it because I really, you know, believed it was the terrorists for the most part. Uh, I will say, though, especially for like when I was in high school and then in college, too, it was just like, I would say almost the popular p- opinion among my peers that it was like the the 9-11 truth or like I had buddies that went to school and like 9-11 truth or shirts and stuff like that. Maybe not like Infowars, but, you know, like just like 9-11 truth and stuff like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like uh, by the time I kind of got, you know, into like the good side on foreign policy, uh, I did watch like the Alex Jones stuff, but I never was like convinced that it was uh, that was Bush or anything like that. Now, I, I guess I have I did go through a time where I was very suspicious that maybe they let it happen. I'm not so sure of that now. I think I'm more towards government incompetence uh, is just kind of where I lead now. But there was definitely I and I mean. Look, when you when you realize what happened and how much they lied to us and exploited us and enriched themselves and, you know, these are the people that, you know, taught how much we have to love, value, respect our soldiers and how if you don't support the war, you're tarnishing, you know, what they're doing and you're making it more likely that they're going to die and all this. And then the other time they're providing them with substandard equipment so they can make more money. I, I mean, well, you know, once you realize that you have to at least like, you know, look into the truth or stuff a little bit, you'd be crazy not to. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, what is your take on Building 7? Is it just uh, whatever the engineers kind of say? I mean, that one's a little funky, right? I mean, even that one, I was like, how, what's up with that one? I think there was even another, you know, what, what is your take on that? Is it just, what do you think on that? Uh, you know, I, I really don't know. I had, that was like one thing I did spend a lot of time looking into, particularly was building seven, uh, just because it it does seem like there's something wrong with it. I guess at this point, I I just like, I I do think it was a legitimate terrorist attack. You know what I mean? And so uh, what, I I don't know what happened. I I, like, I can't explain it to anyone. I can't make that argument. So I don't want to like set off the crowd on either side. Like, oh, he can't even explain it, but this is exactly what happened uh i have i have read all the theories and i just i couldn't be a hundred percent on everything so it's just one of those things like i haven't invested enough time in especially not recently if anything like new has come up on it uh but there are just a, a lot of parts uh of what happened on 9-11 just you know don't sit right with people and uh, i mean the the part that i spend the most time on which you know, is like the, the 28 pages kind of stuff, the Saudi connection, uh, oh, because right, I do man. think that's... there are like Saudi officials who, who, you know, that's, that's kind of where I lean on the side of conspiracy is the fact that you had, uh, you know, the Saudi Prince Bandar, affectionately knows, known as Bandar Bush, right. And the Saudis get to leave, uh, DC on nine 11, all this other kind of crazy stuff that happened, uh, does, you know, make me suspect, that there was uh, something very wrong with how, how all, I don't know exactly what, you know, I can't explain all of it. I do think that the, the Saudis were probably uh, contributing more to the hijackers at a higher level of the government than we currently publicly know. Uh, but until, you know, the, 
the the Congress or somebody releases the information, then it you know, is all speculation, and uh, you know people could point to engineering things that at least do have basis in science. It's not, you know, what, what they, you know, the, the people who say that the building fell for the fire and all the other reasons, it's not, it's not completely absurd or anything like that. It's not like, you know, they're telling you the sky is green. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, Hey, what's up everyone. Uh, Thanks for uh, checking out the show. Be sure to support our efforts here by checking out Paloma Verde CBD.com. It is a uh, online store that my wife and I uh, run. And um, you get 25% off by using the promo code Chingasos. And just in case you guys don't know, um, it's not in my nature to be interviewing people like this. But if you like what I'm putting out, just know that I'm on some CBD. You know, I take a gummy about an hour before I know I'm going to do the show. And about 20 minutes before the show, I'll take some drops, just takes the edge off, and then I just get into it. So if that's something that sounds like, oh, in your life, you do some other stuff that might benefit you to take the edge off before you get into some shit. Try some CBD products. So uh, go to palomaverdecbd.com. Use the promo code Chingasos. Get 25% off anything in the store. Peace. All right. So from the Mujahideen to the Soviets losing and leaving in, in 89 to the Taliban taking power in 1996. Can you kind of speak to the, the origins of, of, of all of those events um, then that led to the Taliban rule in Afghanistan? Yeah, uh, I'll, do, I'll do my best. Uh, if anybody wants like a really like comprehensive uh, thing, especially on the Soviet area time, uh, Eric Margulies has a great book, War at the Top of the World, and and uh, I mean, he, he he was there, you know, I mean, he was uh, with the Mujahideen fighters in Afghanistan during the resistance to the Soviets. So, you know, he could tell the story like nobody else can. The guy's a hell of a writer and storyteller. So if you really want like all the details there, but, uh, you know, the U.S. saw an opportunity in Afghanistan uh, to arm the resistance to the communist bad Soviet government in that country and essentially draw the uh, Russians in. And, and they called it uh, giving the, the Russians their own Vietnam, right? They wanted to bait the Russians into like a, a never ending conflict that they couldn't possibly win. And then once they baited the Russians in, they gave the resistance to the Soviet government, uh, different kinds of arms and stuff like that. Now, there are a lot of pieces to the Mujahideen and the Soviet uh, resistance. Uh, a lot of people will be like, oh, it's Bin Laden. Oh, it's the Taliban. Oh, it's the Northern Alliance. And it, it was really all of them. And so this is where, you know, Ben Laden, I, I think, I don't know, maybe he had been to Afghanistan before, but I think this is where he makes a lot of roots in Afghanistan. I think there, there's a lot of different translations of Al-Qaeda, but one of them in, in the general sense is the network. And so one of the things that he was doing was networking with Arab fighters to come to Afghanistan to fight. And so you could kind of see that, you know, as later in life, he coordinates a terrorist attack, maybe he honed some of those skills. At this time when, you know, he was backed by the United States. And this is, you know, one of the reasons that you you don't arm rebels in different countries because you don't really know what you're doing. But uh, part of that, too, 
arms went to the Taliban and they became a more substantial fighting force, but also the opponents of the Taliban, the Northern Alliance, some of those warlords were a part of, of the like Mujahideen and the resistance too. And then once the Soviets left, I don't think the Taliban immediately like started or, or continued. It more like kind of went towards uh, different warlords, held different territory. The Northern Alliance held their own territory. So, you know, warlords uh, like Dostum, Masud, Nor, Hekmachar, uh, uh, people might recognize those names. You know, they, they hold territory during this time. And then it's, I think, around 1995 that the Taliban really come in and start taking territory. And the warlords were brutal. And so in some respects, I think the Taliban were, I don't want to make it out to be like the Taliban were like liberators or anything like that at all. But there were aspects of the warlord culture that was worse than the Taliban. And I'm sure the Taliban had like other bad aspects, like, you know, their public executions of women and stuff like that was absolutely horrific during this time. Uh, But they uh, take, I don't know, like you say, like two thirds of the country or so uh, over the next like five or six years. And they do it with the backing of the Pakistani ISI, which, of course, Pakistan is not like a in-name ally, but a partner of the U.S. And so that that's definitely something to remember during this time is that the U.S. doesn't have a problem with this. Around 2000, the Taliban uh, control Kabul and a lot of the country. They start to seek international recognition, and but they don't control all the country. That's really important. Uh, and one of the things that for international recognition that the community wants is to eradicate the opium, the poppy trade in the in the country, and it really dips. And so if anybody looks at a graph, like in 2001, before the, uh, the U.S starts and gets involved there uh there's really like no opium production in afghanistan it's very minimal and that's because that, that was like a project of the taliban uh seeking international recognition oh i never heard of that that's no that's cool i mean so yeah that, that was them so even back so even right now when people think oh the taliban's trying has like a pr to try to be be better they were already trying to get like uh Trying to get be legit in the in the eyes of the international community by doing something like that even back then, right, right. Mm. And so, and one of the things that happened, and, and I think I'm pretty sure this is how it goes, and, and I think this is why I'm not wrong on this. Uh, that the Taliban kind of inherit Os- Osama bin Laden in uh, Tora Bora, Afghanistan. I don't think it's necessarily that he goes there to hide out because the Taliban are in charge. I think that, you know, he was there under the, you know, Afghan code where he's a Muslim resistance fighter. So um, as long as he's not planning any international terrorist attacks, the Taliban were letting him stay. And, you know, something to remember, most of 9-11 wasn't planned in Afghanistan. You know, they uh, one thing that when I was growing up that never made any sense to me is they always showed these terrorist training camps that we we're supposed to be worried about. And it's like some playground equipment, right? And I never <laughs> I was about to say, yes, man. The music I, too, right? The music and all yes. that stuff, right? <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a long time. But that's yeah, Yes. And I never going, understood man. how climbing across a set of monkey bars <laughs> would make it more likely that you could hijack a plane. But like, you know, the scary music was enough and everything like that. Uh, I, I hadn't <laughs> thought about that till now either. It's just, it, it's such a crazy thing that they would always show this B-roll 
footage of these guys like essentially playing on playground equipment <laughs> these grown-ass men dressed like ninjas playing on playground equipment and these were like the people who are gonna come kill you in the middle of the night right um yeah, so like you know, Osama bin Laden is a problem for the Taliban. They tell Osama bin Laden he can't plan international terrorist attacks there, and they largely planned the attack in Karachi, Pakistan, uh, um, Malaysia, Germany, and San Diego. They got their flight training in the United States. So I, I mean, I'm not trying to like make a whole bunch of excuses here or anything like that, but there is a lot of nuance to this. It's not just like, you know, the Pakistan or the, the Taliban were like, now that we control Afghanistan, hell yeah, let's invite our old buddy Osama bin Laden back so he could plot a terrorist attack against the Americans, which really was like, I, I feel like if I had told people that in 2011, you know, 2008, 2000, they, like, they would have believed that. There, there's no doubt. Like they might have thought like it's a little ham-handed of a narrative but that's about like it like that's generally true they thought and so uh but that's not really the case at all and then of course after 9 11 uh the u.s is mostly concerned about establishing a an air base at the Bagram airfield. Uh, so they got most of their troops there. They do have like some assets, uh, some special forces trying to uh, get the uh, Osama bin Laden and his few Al-Qaeda guys at Tora Bora. And they actually kill a good amount of them with airstrikes. But Osama bin Laden escapes over the border from Afghanistan and I, I, you know, into Pakistan, which again, you would think like, wouldn't be an, even better, right? Like this is a country the U.S. has a military relationship with. This should be even easier to get the guy, but he hides out there for ten years. In the meantime, the uh, the Taliban tried to surrender. They actually tried to turn over Osama bin Laden to the U.S. three times, and the U.S. rejected it every time. I never, I never, uh, I, I remember hearing about recently, even from you guys on your show. You know, like, there's a lot of stuff. You know, so yeah, I always everybody could go check out y'all's show, but um, um. Yeah, they try to turn him in. I never heard about three times. Can you kind of talk about that? Because people that listen to the show, maybe like some people that don't get into a lot of this stuff would be like, what do you mean the Taliban tried to turn over? You know, they would have never even heard that, you know? So what do you mean by that? It was, um, they they could have gotten him and turned him over, but what, our government isn't going to deal with terrorists? Is that kind of that old thing or something like that? Yeah, I mean, like, remember, in the days after 9-11, like, it was only, I guess, heavily in they were right speculate that Osama bin Laden was behind this. And so the Taliban's first demand, and they said that they knew where Osama bin Laden was, is that they would turn over Osama bin Laden to the United States. The U.S. present evidence that Osama bin Laden was behind it. And the Bush administration's position was, I think, more or less, we don't negotiate with terrorists, no way. Plus, maybe they didn't have the evidence at the time, which uh, I guess, you know, how much evidence can't turn over like two days after 9-11 or something like that but then uh, i think a, a far like easier demand to like have agreed to was that the uh taliban said that they would turn over osama bin laden to any muslim country and i believe this would have included like nato ally turkey de facto ally pakistan saudi arabia the united arab emirates i mean it, it wasn't even necessarily like we're gonna send this guy to saudi arabia where we could guarantee where we feel you know like he'll get a fair trial or something like that they're like you know we just got to give him somewhere where it seems like there's gonna be some level of due process and then after that they offered to give Osama bin Laden over to any third country. And so it could have at that point, I'm assuming been like Australia or 
New Zealand or like even I think like at that point, like Russia could have been an option or something uh, where uh, and remember on the days after 9-11, Putin offered the U.S. the old Soviet bases to help us get assets into Afghanistan, uh, which in one sense may have been a little bit of a trap. But, you know, in the other at the time did seem like it, it was a real way to help the United States because Afghanistan is a landlocked country. It's not easy to set up a whole bunch of military personnel there if you don't have staging bases in outside countries. And so being able to use old Soviet bases was, I think, very helpful uh, to the Americans for that. Although it came with a lot of consequences. Uh, I think there was like a lot of uh, pretty nasty, like radiation and chemical weapons that they use at some of these bases. And of course, the Americans stayed there forever. The troops talk about like the the way the mud would like turn to sludge and how it's like messed up uh you know it's not proven but they think it like messed them up pretty bad maybe gave them some crazy cancers and stuff like that no man that's i i've never heard of that either um so uh what was um uh so that would have been like all of at least in the beginning for sure would have been all the all the the bush years and and all of the neo neocon perspective of uh trying to push a narrative of uh you know, but Obama wasn't that much different on he was different on like maybe the style of, of talking about um, Afghanistan. I guess um, um, he would have called that. Well, I think he might have said that that was the good war, right? Like being countered oh, to yeah. Iraq, right? That was the good war. And, um, you know, a lot of people um, so that, you know, I, I, I talked to you about about Bill Maher, you know, and, you know, during the Bush years all very anti-war and all that come Obama. Uh, that is the, the volume is lowered. It's there, but it's lowered. And that's when I kind of started seeing like the inconsistency of the anti-war left uh, towards their, their own, I guess. Right. So, so the left, uh, can you kind of uh, give your take on the Obama years uh, uh, in relationship to Afghanistan and, and the war and all that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess what kind of happened during the Bush years is that the Taliban offered to surrender. They wouldn't take the surrender and they decided to build a nation rather than just leaving Afghanistan after they had kept the Taliban out. I mean, they had taught the Taliban a lesson. They, they should have just left after that, but they didn't. Uh, they, they stayed in by like 2000. For 2005, the Taliban insurgency is picking up. And then at the in like 2006, 2007 in Iraq, you had David Petraeus, the general over there, do something that they called the surge and they claim it pacified the insurgency there. And so Obama took office uh, with a growing insurgency in Afghanistan and decided that they were going to replicate the move in Iraq and, and surge troops into Afghanistan. Now, there were different perspectives with Within the Obama administration, Biden wanted to do the smaller surge, but he did want to surge tens of thousands of troops into Afghanistan. Uh, by uh, Obama wanted to do like immediate one, and then he was strong armed even more by the the generals. Uh, Stanley McChrystal like did interviews and like was like, "Oh, I need so many more troops and stuff like that." So. Uh, Obama comes in, sends more troops to Afghanistan uh, to do uh, the, this military strategy that was the uh, not brainchild, but largely advocated for. The main advocate at the time was General David Petraeus and his acolyte, Stanley McChrystal, a general was going to go to Afghanistan, implement it. And the idea is that you're winning hearts and minds. The, the Bush administration was too mean. They just killed people. We're going to go in. We're going to provide a government in a body 
robots, they called it. We're going to provide these people with security, and they're going to be so happy with us that they're going to reject the Taliban. Uh, of course, this failed miserably. Uh, Stanley McChrystal himself admitted that there's insurgency math. For every one insurgent you kill, you get 10 more. And so with numbers like that, you could never win do anything militarily uh but yet mccrystal tried and then he got fired for being a, a brash drunk idiot and insulting i believe biden and then he got fired so they uh had david petraeus do it who of course you know went didn't win the afghan war got a whole bunch of troops killed then came back became cia director uh had an affair with his mistress gave her obama's daily schedule and somehow now gets to go on tv and tell us what's going on about afghanistan and isn't in jail like any other american would be so <laughs> i I hate David Petraeus. I always have to add that he's such a disgraced philanderer and uh, was a CIA man that gave over state secrets to his mistress. I mean, just like uh, how how you could be the, the U.S. intelligence chief and get baited into what it could have been a honeypot. I don't know if it was. It seems absolutely unbelievable, but he did. And then for the country not to be absolutely outraged at that. And, you know, he still like gets to go on cable news up to this day and tell the American people how they should think and feel about Afghanistan. Mm, uh, man, I don't know. <laughs> so what, listening to you right now, talk about that. And maybe it's the, <laughs> the little bit of the, the drinking kicking in. I started thinking, well, I mean, I guess that mistress must have been pretty good, you know. And then I started thinking, who's who's America's mistress? Is it is it this idea of the military that 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 like we you know talking about how you can't say anything about the military? It's 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 uh, she's there always. It's this uh, I don't know, you know. I've I think somebody had I had recently posted something like, you know, which war have we uh, or, or in my lifetime, which wars have we uh, uh, ended or something and. People posted some and then people started posting it like somebody put, hey, I think only there's only been like a seven year run in our country that has uh, that we didn't have any wars going on or something. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm thinking uh, a little weird, but but yeah, I mean, um, you know, what what is it about you? I mean, I guess every country always has to look up in a way and, and, and put their military at the top because it's supposed to be a defensive uh, way to. Uh, it's a it's a defensive tool, but you know the way that we use it, um, it's it's mostly always offensive. So I don't know. I guess you could skip that. I, mean, they, I guess no, no. The, I I got a couple things for you okay, there. Okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> a part of it is propaganda. You know, just especially anybody my age, just so indoctrinated by like you clap at the soldiers, you say thank you for your service, and you know that those people are the reason that you and your family get to enjoy a nice life. Like, that that, that indoctrination goes deep. Uh, also, there's, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's Tom Secker. I mean, I got to look up this guy's name because I had to say I'm pretty sure every time. But he goes, he FOIAs, like, Hollywood movies and finds out, like, all the, if you see a movie with an F-35 or, like, U.S. military equipment, like the, the Transformers movies and stuff like that, well, the Pentagon lets these companies use that military equipment as long as they get a look at the script and, you know, get to do some altering and stuff like that. And so, you, you know, when you're growing up as a kid and you go to the movies 
movies and you see the Transformers thing and you got like, you know, the awesome animated Transformers on the deck of the aircraft carrier and you have these like really cool looking dudes like saluting nets to them and the F-35 is coming and landed. You know why? Like that, especially as a young boy, that that stuff like really does like run deep in, in you and stuff uh also our politicians are all liars and frauds and so i think when you're looking at like a respectable institution the military is like the least offensive they they make people the least mad the least often like no however you feel about like the courts like they've probably ruled on something in the past 10 years that you absolutely can't stand and you hate uh the same thing with like you know most presidents and congress like congress's approval rating is low the supreme courts is low uh the military's hangs around 50 percent i i guess another thing is is that this certainly wasn't the case when I lived on the East Coast. Uh, and New Hampshire wasn't an exception, but Massachusetts, this wasn't the case. But like in St. Louis and uh, now Colorado, where I live in New Hampshire, like you, you drive down the road and like every my son's in the Marine, you know, on the back of their car, Vietnam vet, Iraq war vet. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're just around vets all the time. And so like, you know, the, you know what I mean? And, and when you talk about the military, in a sense, like when you're talking about the narrative, you're talking about the generals and what they say, because they're the ones on TV. They're the ones that talk to Congress. They're the ones that write policy. But I think sometimes when you ask people about the military, you're, you're talking about my friend tom he's a good dude like you know he's a straight talker he might say some uh, offensive stuff and not uh, we might not agree on everything but you know usually like if you know a military guy they're not they're not somebody that's gonna lie to you you know and and like I, i think we project that reputation onto the entire military when really it's just like uh you know a feature of like kind of on these men yeah no i hear you i um yeah man like so yeah, it, it it runs deep, and especially in a country like ours, where where yeah, there's all we've, we've always been in, in 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 military interventions, and yeah, man, it's um, you know, but there's a little bit. Is there less of it now? Is is there is there less of that, or do you feel that it's still, or is it it's still uh, in tribe, uh, like still in the two camps? Um, um, man, I'm I'm trying to get a read right now, uh, but I think there's maybe less of it, or or what do you think? I feel like the fear has definitely like dialed down significantly. It's just a matter of time. I mean, uh, Paul Wolfowitz and uh, Robert Kagan both had recent op-eds that were uh, really terrifying, but also revealing. And uh, in both of their op-eds, they write that like, look, the American people aren't as afraid anymore. And so, you know, I'm guessing that there's like, tons of reasons uh with time being maybe the biggest factor the fact that people really don't care about foreign policy i i do think like you know for anything you could say about maybe the woke moment uh the fact that like we do have to kind of realize that people around the world are people does like i I think for for particular people on the left you could very easily shame them into having their default position have to be anti-war not that they'll know anything about it but if you're just like, dude, don't the lives of brown people matter? It's kind of hard for them to be like, mm-hmm. no, I think it's okay to kill random Afghan families. Like, you know, the, that, that kind of like Bush era thing is gone. Uh, and the fact that a lot of these things have been exposed as lies, like the weapons of mass destruction have been 
like that is something that I, I do really think has uh, been imprinted on my generation is that the government lied about the weapons of mass destruction. The fact that you had to be worried that a terrorist was going to detonate a nuclear bomb in your town. There's a show called Jericho where this was like the plot of it, where they detonate, I think, like 28 nuclear bombs across the United States of America or something <laughs> Uh, like that and um it, it it's just uh that that was never a real thing at all remotely and so once you realize that somebody has scared you that much like that that is like hard to let go of and so uh I, you know that that i think adds to the the fact that there's just like less fear I, i'm sure there's a couple other things i'm not really thinking of just people caring about other stuff yeah no and it's real man because uh after what after biden left one of my buddies that you know he'll call me every once in a while just to talk some shit about whatever and he called me on this one and i told him hey what's up man like you know how's it you know i know you're calling me for something let's talk you know because he always likes to get into politics and and then i said i was like hey man you know we lost it's hard to win there the the terrain's bad you know you know what are you you know what are you gonna do and then he went and said, yeah but now they can probably start uh working again to bringing a a, a dirty bomb and I go and I, and I said, dude, are you going back to one of those old classics, man? Those don't play anymore. What are you talking? Oh, yeah, it does. I was like, oh, come on. So, you know, yeah, they go back to their original, their, a lot of those original, but they have a lot of power. I mean, I had to for a split second catch myself and be like, ah, come on. But before I said, oh, come on, I was like, I, I pictured, you know, a dirty bomb and something, right. you know, you know, it just and your mind goes that way. But I can catch myself, but not a lot of people. Then people can easily get back into the mix of, Oh shit! You know, here comes the dirty bombs and all this stuff. You know, that is true. I mean, it was long enough ago now that we've even forgot that we were lied to about the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there is definitely a group of like I, I talk about, like you know, my peers and like you know, feeling like that was imprinted on them. But then there is a group that like is just completely ignorant and probably has no idea there's U.S. troops in Iraq or could even find Iraq on a map to this day. So. I mean, you know, it, it it's all over the place. Uh, yeah, but it, I mean, there's nothing left for Biden to do in Afghanistan. I mean, Trump tried to like a mini surge thing that didn't work at all. The best thing that Trump did uh, probably his entire time as a president is sign the deal with the Taliban to eventually leave the country. If Biden made a mistake, it was staying three months too long. He should have left in May. Should left in May. So that that's the talking point right now that's coming out of that. That's what this my my buddy said, you know. Oh, if he, they would have just followed the timeline and and I was, you know, I said, OK, but, you know, why didn't we and all that? So what was um, what, what did Trump see in, in the Taliban that allowed him to make a deal? Was there a, a third or fourth parties that were trying to say they're trying to, like, be better um, uh, advocates for their country or something like that? Or was it just that Trump wanted to, you know, because um Trump's like, uh, you know, for sure, like a lot of the presidents, like, uh, you know, uh, an Israeli guy, you know, he's going to do whatever kind of uh, whatever favor, whatever favors is Israeli's point of view and Saudi, you know, did Trump step on people's shoes to get to this? Uh, you know, you know, what, how, how did he play it? And, you know, I, you know, I would say like, hey, Trump gets credit for getting the ball rolling and, and, and Biden gets credit for, uh, you know, taking the shot and, and, and doing it, you know, but uh, can you speak to Trump's uh, efforts on this? 
Yeah, I think that's right. I think if we're looking at uh, assigning blames among presidents, I mean, of course, Trump could have done the right thing from the beginning, but really Bush and Obama are to blame for the Afghan war. And for all Trump's faults, you know, he did sign this agreement with the the Taliban. So what happened was, is, is I think Trump was just bold enough to make a decision to cut the Afghan government out. The thing was so corrupt that it was never going to sign a deal with the Taliban because they knew if they signed a deal with the Taliban, then the Americans will leave. And so they wanted to prevent that at all costs. And so the I think the really bold thing the Trump administration did was cut out the Afghan government and just negotiate with the Taliban. Now, they did, I, I think, make a couple mistakes in this, like agreeing on behalf of the Afghan government to release a bunch of Taliban prisoners. But at the same time, it, it, it was the, the a deal had to get done and it got done. Uh, a guy who had largely run around with, with neocons, Zalmay Khalilzad, uh, who, but who was an Afghan, is the person that Trump put in in charge of negotiating this. And he did a decent job with it. I mean, you know, for everything else in that guy's legacy, this was a uh, a victory. And so Trump signed this deal. And right away, I said there, there was a huge problem with the deal because he was signing a deal that was going to, you know, come due three months after he left the presidency. I was like, if he doesn't win, then this thing, they're not going to leave on May 1st. And I was right about that. Now, I thought they would leave at a far later date than August 31st, but uh, I I do think that made a key difference because in Afghanistan, they have, uh, like, fighting generally starts in the spring. Like, a lot of these guys are insurgents, they're farmers, uh, so during winter they don't fight, they plant their crops, then they go fight, Right. And so that kind of coincides with May 1st. And so had they left on the the schedule, I think the Taliban still would have started their offensive around that May 1st time as they did. But then you have uh, a couple months for of a buffer period. I mean, it's not a two year Vietnam War decent interval, but it is time for like people to get out of the country and stuff like that. And I think that didn't exist uh, because. Uh, Biden decided to wait till August 31st when the Taliban were literally at the peak of their offensive, uh, what the U.S. was withdrawing. And so that created a, a kind of a, a really bad optus situation for Biden. Yeah. And um, moving forward um, and with now um, our troops out of there, what um, are the prospects for Afghanistan? Um, you know, they're going to be dealing with I guess now it's like ISIS K. Uh, I don't know what the K stands for. You could help us out on that one, but um, you know, and and the prospects of you know now the narratives are which they they they're probably true. There's some truth to that. Is that all? Oh, the women are going to go back to the way it was and different things like that. Uh, uh, that buddy that I that I told you, I told him I was like, man, we don't know. You know, I mean, they're different now. You know, it, uh, you know. I remember I saw a Vice video where they were talking to some some Taliban. Uh, I guess yeah, some Taliban soldiers or something and. They were telling them, oh, yeah, you see the moon up there? We, we've gone up there already and different things. And they, they thought they, were, they thought like there's people that d- didn't know the outside world, you know, that they but, you know, they knew how to fight, you know, they did, you know. So but I was like, hey, now, you know, they have phones now They're You know, who knows? You know, I mean, it, it could be different. It might it's not going to be perfect, but uh, it could be different. Um, so what are your uh, uh, like prospects or what do you kind of see how Afghanistan's going to play out here uh, in the future? 
So, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot. And at this point, I, I just don't know. Nobody knows that, I guess, maybe some of the Taliban leadership kind of know what their plans are. But I think in large part, it's kind of yet to be determined. And as I say everything, remember, this is all relative. Like, the standard for women in Afghanistan is really, really, really bad. And maybe under the Taliban, it'll be really, really bad. But it, it's still ugly as hell right and so if if people really care about this i i really recommend an article it's kind of a longer piece it's in the new yorker by anon gopal where he went to rural afghanistan interviewed a bunch of women and basically what they had to say is that uh as bad as the taliban are the u.s was an absolute nightmare they invited in the old warlords the u.s would like come into their homes and break all their windows at least the taliban never like one of their points was at least you know they felt more secure in their home uh with the taliban charge than the americans now you know there there are definitely downsides to the taliban everything like that and it's made clear in that article but when you don't have hardly any security and you don't have hardly any freedom however you choose to you you know i mean like it's an ugly choice for these women to make and so it does seem like there are reasons to think that there are going to be some women in afghanistan who at least live more secure and maybe even slightly more free lives because the taliban are back in charge but i don't think that's the general rule and it's certainly not going to be the case for like women in uh, Kabul and the major population centers who did have access to like a lot of, you know, Western kind of things like, you know, they had like beauty salons and stuff like that in Kabul. Like that, that kind of stuff is probably going to go. And uh, I I do think that is a, a part of it. Now, you know, people are pretending like, well, the Taliban are the same group they were in 1999. And while there's maybe no reason to say they definitely won't be, it it is like a lot of them have died in the past 20 years. They've gone through several rounds of leadership. If you look at these kids who are like, you know, members of the Taliban now, I shouldn't say kids, but, you know, to me, they are, you know, they're like 18 to 25 year olds. And, you know, now that I'm in my thirties, I call them kids. And, uh, you you know, they they don't remember 9-11 or know that even happened. And so, you know, are their views different than the Taliban of 20 years ago? I would guess so. I mean, I see these kids walking around with smartphones. I mean, if you see see a young man with a smartphone, I bet they're doing stuff on that they shouldn't be. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure they assume that they could get away with, you know, maybe a little un-Islamic behavior. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm guessing that kind of changes their outlook on the world in general. Like if you're watching us pop videos and stuff like that, but again, that I don't think the the Taliban leadership are necessarily there. Uh, The Taliban did appoint their initial like ruling council of Afghanistan and it is all men. It's all members of the Taliban. It's a lot of um, uh, like, I'm, you know, hardline, you know, Taliban old school members. Uh, but uh, my guess is that Afghanistan, like always, is going to be a fairly local country. There's going to be some places in Afghanistan where women have a little bit more freedom, uh, some places where they have less and it's going to be ugly. Um, but the U.S. and our allies have committed so many war crimes in the past 20 years in Afghanistan that, you know, the, the particularly the U.S. government and the military have no right to judge the Taliban and what they're going to do. We allied with far worse people than the Taliban in Afghanistan. I hope I answered everything you asked there. Yeah, yeah, no, and you 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 went right into the next question I was already thinking, and that was, uh, 
is anybody going to pay for the war crimes that we uh, committed? No. I, I mean, if you want the, the short answer, no. Uh, there are probably some like individuals around the world who may pay uh, there there's like war crimes investigations in Afghanistan. Maybe the U S will like conduct some kind of commission. If there was some one really atrocious example, but like for the most part, like we bombed the ho- doctors without borders hospital in Caduce uh, in Afghanistan, in 2015, as the doctors fled that the pilots of that plane, like, you know, fired machine guns at them to like, you know, flee, shoot the fleeing doctors. Uh, There's just been so many war crimes committed in Afghanistan that I I really don't see like in a significant way people being held responsible. I will say, you know, something just to be aware of is not only have the war crimes been committed by the U.S., but by our Afghan allies. And everybody's talking about how important it is that we bring like our Afghan allies in the military and stuff to the United States. And I got to say, like, I'm not opposed to immigration or especially like Afghans who like, you know, maybe worked for like Western aid and, and stealing stuff like that out coming to the United States. Some girl who became a doctor in Afghanistan now wants to leave that, that all that no problem with it. However, like, you know, you can go the operation paperclip route and start like bringing like actual like war criminals into your country. And uh, I would be very careful, like with the CIA allies, you know, they say they evacuate like a thousand people out of one of their bases. You know, these these could be some like war criminal torture, uh, terrible, terrible type of people. OK, yeah. So I'll keep an eye out. Uh like locally at the parks, at the monkey bars, make sure that they're not. <laughs> but, uh, man, uh, yeah. So, uh, with that, I guess we'll, uh, call it a, a wrap here, man. So, uh, last words on, on the twin on like, you know, looking back, what, what, what is your take just big mistake or, or like, you know, what is your take? Just like, man, like, so actually a, a quick question that I wanted to do before that one was if a terrorist attack happens, do you think now, the U.S. population, because this is what I told my buddy again. I said, hey, man, there might be an attack. I was like, but we can't overreact like we did in Afghanistan. We have to just be like, oh, shit, you know, you know, let's get the people maybe that you got to get in this. But let's not go like let's not overreact. Do you think uh, that's the case or is the, the political weight of something like that happening under somebody's watch, whether it's a Democrat, Republican, whoever? That's just too much uh, fire for them to just leave it as, oh, yeah, we're going to act the right way or something like that. I I don't have much hope on this one, Carlos. I'm going to be honest. I I think especially like right now with, with Biden in charge, I don't have hope. You know, if a new president gets elected, that maybe things could be different. But with like who's in the administration and kind of who Biden is, I think the U.S. would, you know, maybe maybe we don't send 100,000 troops to whatever country uh, some dude happens to be hiding in that was behind the attack or something like that. You know, I, I mean, Osama bin Laden was a Saudi, so it's kind of hard to even say who the U.S. would end up bombing if there was a terror attack. But, you know, whatever country was the uh, target of our rage after a terror attack, I think would suffer quite 
quite heavily uh still um i i will say like i i don't want to be like oh there's gonna be a terrorist attack or anything like that but i think it is important to remember that we have spent the past 20 years terrorizing uh a section of the world uh essentially from the morocco to philippines with our drones with our war warlords with our bombs our planes our soldiers uh all of our failed humanitarian projects this has ruined countless lives I don't know how many stories I've read over the years of, you know, the U.S. fires a drone into a car and one kid survives. Like, how many of those kids grow up that one of them wants to take vengeance or something like that? Um, And so if there is something like that that happens, this time, you know, we have to be ready and we have to be ready to argue that we can't go charging at our, uh, at, at, you know, whatever, like a raging bull. Uh, You know, we, there still is this like, really terrible thing that the u.s media does where they'll bring up the victim of something and whatever that victim says you have to agree with or you hate that victim and you think they aren't suffering and that could not be the case like you know if some kid whose dad died on 9-11 still really hates afghans and wants to bomb afghanistan like it's not the biggest deal in the world to change his mind it's really not but we also don't have to base our policy of an entire country on whoever is most pissed off about something. And, and so, you know, we, we do have to like kind of control our, and, and, you know, react to things, you know, proportionally these terrorism is a crime and you know there there are international arrest warrants and there are ways to like you know get people responsible for these things without massive military operations that just go to create more terrorism yeah no i hear you and um that's why um you know i uh support your efforts on on your podcast that's why we you know i do what i try to do to maybe like waking up some people you know wake some people up that might have not heard some of our perspectives and um thank you kyle for coming on can you please uh plug in where people can check out uh your 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 articles you write what you're into and all that stuff please yes so i'm the opinion opinion editor at antiwar.com so go there and read the viewpoints every day if you uh you know, want to see what I think are the most articles in the anti-war movement out there for any particular day. Uh, if you uh, want to check out my show in the Daily News Roundup that I write, you find that at the Libertarian Institute. Uh, my name's on the masthead there, so just go libertarianinstitute.org. you find all my work. Uh, my podcast is up everywhere. People can listen to podcasts. Uh, it's also on the Libertarian Institute all podcast feed. So if you like one of my show, Scott Horn's show, uh, Pete Quinones, Keith Knight, all the uh, Patrick McFarlane, Tommy Solomons, uh, you can subscribe to it there. And then uh, you can help the show out by buying your Paloma Verde with the promo code PEACE. You get yourself a discount with that. And uh, yeah, that's uh, I think that's the last thing I got, Carlos. All right. Fair enough, man. Thank you. And uh, if I had you two times, I'm going to have you a third time for sure. So uh, thank you for coming on and uh, uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks. Thanks.